On this episode of Year One, we speak to Jerry Karen, Principal at Karen Product Management Consulting, where he works with senior executives of small to medium-sized tech firms to develop strategies that strengthen product outcomes, processes, and organizations. We speak about failure, patents, mentors, scaling the consultancy, and product design pitfalls. If you're building a product, this is one worth listening to. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Hi, Jerry. Welcome to Year One. Satish and I are really thrilled to have you on our podcast. And thank you for making the time to, to come have a chat with us. I'm going to dive straight in with our first question, and that is, we're going to find out a little bit more about your business, but we want to find out a little bit more about the man behind the business before then. So what is your story? What has happened in your life that has actually made you the person that you are today? Well, first off, thank you for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, wow, where do I start? <laughs> what hasn't happened? I can tell you one thing. I, I've learned through uh, I've learned through trial and error. I think I've made every mistake known to man, which is a great way to learn things, right? So, what made me who I am? I think the biggest thing is I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid, right? Because I know I can pick myself up. And it's not about failing. It's about what do you do after you fail, right? And I have I still have things that happened to me 20, 30 years ago that I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Related to work, it's just like. But it is what it is, right? So a big thing is that I've always been an idea person. I'm the kind of guy that says, whoever invented this place, light switch ought to be shot, right? And so I start thinking, like, what can I do? How can I make it better? And then I try things, and sometimes they're crazy, and sometimes they're dead on. And it's led to a number of patents. I have 10 patents, and I have, have some more that will be coming out shortly. Um, and I just try things, and I just keep moving. And I'm very open and transparent with people. And I think if I think when you're that way, when you're open with people and transparent and you, they all know you're trying to do the right thing, they're very forgiving, including when you mess up. So I think that's made me what I am, along with a lot of other things. I love the, I love the not afraid to fail. But if you're like us and we went through a period of education where, where failing was the scariest thing schools taught you, and most of us went to school for quite a long time in our careers, how did this other side of you blossom when, you know, every single grade you're like, no, you can't fail. You got to get A pluses. And then yeah. your life is like, I'm not afraid to fail. Where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> a great question. So yeah, I studied like crazy in school and I, I wanted to always get good grades. And so I worked really hard, but I, I think the, the seminal moment for me, I was working at Bose and was a loudspeaker designer. And I had a crazy idea for a speaker that if I you had this little speaker and spun it around, that it might make the reflection sound really good in the room and could make for a great speaker. And so I just, I just joined Bose and I'm in the same group with like my idols. These are the guys that have designed all these speakers I love, right? And, and they get wind that at the end of the day, I'm going to go into the machine shop and spin a, spin a, sat, a speaker around. And so they're like, Can, is that allowed? And this sounds stupid. And so. 5 p.m. I go in there with my technician. He puts the uh, puts the speaker on a on a drill on a drill press to get it spinning, and all of my idols show up at the window to the to the 
lab, right, to this, to this uh, wood shop. And they're looking in the window. And uh, I put like this little, uh, put this guard over my face. And at the last second, I don't know why I thought of it. I grabbed a big piece of particle board and held it in front of me. And so my tech fires it. We turn on the sound. We start listening to the speaker. My tech turns on the drill bit and the speaker starts spinning. And it's going faster and faster. And suddenly it goes out of control. And it's shaking like crazy. And it goes, whoop, and it flies off. And it comes right at me and hits me. It would have hit me in the stomach if I didn't have a particle board in front of me. And I'm like, oh, God. And I look over at the window. And everyone's laughing and they're hitting each other on the back. And they all just kind of like laugh and they walk down the hall. And I was like, this is the most humiliating moment of my entire life. And I was like, I drove home, like just crestfallen. But the thing I didn't realize was it empowered me, right? Because I could no longer be an idiot. I was already an idiot. And so it empowered me to do a bunch of crazy product ideas at that point because I didn't care. I had nothing to lose. And a lot of those ideas I got patents on and they ended up making the company a whole bunch of money. And that was, that was where I learned, you know what, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And so it was very liberating actually to take that, to take that speaker in the stomach. I'm going to, just before I ask you about Karen product management consulting, if I have a look at your LinkedIn profile, right, you mm-hmm. essentially started out in permanent employee. Then you did a very short stint where you did your own thing. Then you went back into permanent employment and now you've mm-hmm. come full circle back to working for yourself. That's right. Why? Why? Why entrepreneurship now? Yeah. So, so my first stint was, it's interesting in both cases, I left the work workforce for the same reason, which is. I was not in a satisfying place in the place I was working and I, and I thought I could do better on my own. The first startup that I did where I was co-founder, we started right before the, uh, the dot-com collapse, like three months before the dot-com collapse. The idea was basically iTunes before iTunes existed. We had, uh, the idea was to have this home-based unit that would use the internet to pump audio into your house and store it in a hard drive. And then you could, it would know what you like to listen to and it would chew up songs for you. And so it was the internet, but it was also hardware. And, uh, and so we'd go out to, to get funding and all of the investors would say, oh, this is before the dot-com collapse. They say, oh, it's not internet. It's hardware. You have this hardware speaker sitting in your living. That's not internet. And then the dot-com collapse happened and we were still in business, right? So we had gotten, we probably had about 300,000 in funding at the time. So now we're going out and asking for money for the seed round and people are saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to invest in you. It's internet. You have internet in your project. <laughs> So anyways, that lasted about a year. And then we ended, I ended up going back to work because I needed to make money. And so, and had a lot of good experiences in there, but I came back to the same spot over that time, working for other companies, typically in the lead role for product management, I was able to experience a lot of different product types and product opportunities and understand what the business implications were for all these different opportunities and just made more contacts, had a broader contact list, had a broader perspective of a lot of different product ideas. I actually went back to school. I went to Babson, you had an MBA. Babson's really well known for its entrepreneurial, right, for teaching entrepreneurs. And so over time, this time around, same situation, not feeling satisfied working for someone else and thinking I could do better. And so this time, now I'm coming out and it's not a big elaborate product and all this, it's me. And it's what I've learned over decades of being 
in a leadership role in technology companies, high tech companies. I've seen everything. I've made the mistakes. I've overcome the mistakes. I've seen every problem. Uh, and I've worked in a lot of different types of industries, right? So it, it's, it makes it easier for me when I step into a new role with a business to say, hey, I know these are the kind of challenges they're going to have because this is similar to this business and that business and kind of falls in the middle. So I bet you this is their challenge. I'll talk to them and sure enough, that's the challenge. And, and so I, I, know how to, I know how to do things right from the get-go and, and be very helpful for them. Dion, I have a question. Unless you have one. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the guests that we've spoken to, Jerry, they've known right from the start, the early age, they knew they wanted to do their own thing. They are destined to be working for themselves, to build in their own yeah. businesses, etc. Right? Was that the case for you? Did you have this desire to be an entrepreneur, or have you almost become an accidental entrepreneur because you've You've gone through the school of hard knocks and now you have the skills and knowledge that actually makes you a, a sought after type of consultant. Yeah, that's a great, that's another great question. So I think for me, I've always kind of envisioned myself as the man behind the curtain. So maybe I'm not the top dog, but I'm the one that's behind saying, okay, we're going to do this next. We're going to do that next. You go, go tell the troops or whatever. Not, not that I'm trying to not be coercive, but... I don't know if it's shyness or anxiety or whatever, but the concept of me being the, the lead dog, it's not, I almost fall into it because I have to, not because I want to. I'm not aggressively seeking it out, but in most of the jobs I've had, it's like, Jerry, you have to do it. You know what you're doing, but there's no one else. You, you do this, right? So I'm almost like a re reluctant leader. But once I'm there, I make sure I like studies or whatever. I make sure I pour my heart and soul into it. And I do the best job I can. And so... I think the difference, so the first startup that I did, I was not the CEO, That was, it was the other fellow, my co-founder. This is the first time where I'm actually like, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm leading the show. For me, it's easy because I'm the product. So I can sell myself. I know how to talk about myself. I know how to sell, sell myself because I've, I've been there. So I, I would say I've fallen into it, but I'm comfortable because I, I know the product and I know the, the strategy because it's me, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, so I want to layer on that a little bit. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to find out. For folks that are looking at entrepreneurship, there's a bunch of different ideas, right? One is, I have this thing, I have a pen, and I want to go sell it. It's the world's greatest pen. And that's one type of a startup. Then there's a model like yours where you're a consultant and you are the product, right? And then yep. as a product manager... Folks that don't want to start their own business, don't want to own an idea, but they're inventors. They have mm -hmm. tons and tons of patents and then their business becomes a patent. And since we have you here with the patent experience, what is that mm -hmm. business model like? When you own a patent, what does that mean? Can you resell it? Can you, can mm -hmm. you run a business where other people buy it from you? Maybe for folks mm -hmm. that have never explored that as a business venture, can you share a little bit about how that works? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, it, it will it gives me the opportunity to talk about the other business that I started very recently. So I have Karen Product Management Consulting, but I also recently started a company called Mastrio LLC with two other with two other folks. One of them being a top a top tier IP attorney in New York City, and then another being a, an engineering expert process person as well. And that's more of a licensing company. So. As I said, I'm an idea person and pretty much my whole career when I was working for other companies, 
I'd have ideas like, hey, you know what? We could do, I could do this or I could do that. I had nothing to do with what my job was. And I always wanted to start working on these crazy ideas I have as a tinkerer, but I was always so poured into my core, you know, the company I was working for that I never did it. But now that I'm doing my own consulting business, when I have time on the side, I say, now I want to work on these other ideas. And so the way it works is I have a few ideas that I'm working on right now, tinkering with. I think a couple of them I actually have really op great opportunity for traction. I'm really, really excited about them. One case, I did a, a test market on Facebook and I got like an 8% click-through rate to learn more in the target market, which is like off the charts. So I'm pretty excited about that. And so the idea is I come up with a product concept, work with the engineering person to get it so that it's to, we can sell it in small, small quantities. It doesn't have to be mass produced, right? The IP attorney uh, protects it, creates the IP for it, and can also defend it if anyone tries to steal it from us later. And then once we have it, we'll do some test marketing, sell through Shopify or whatever, whatever it might be to, to prove out the, to prove out the market. And then at that point, a lot of companies go to Shark Tank or something like that. I don't want to build a whole company with a bunch of people at this point. That's not what I'm going for. So the idea is I want to take these ideas. Once I've proven the market's there, we've got a good business model, the, the, the unit the metrics are, are in, in place. Then we go to the industry leaders in that space and say, hey, it's up for a bid. How much you want to give me for it? How much you want to give me per royalties? What do you want to give me for royalties? What do you want to give me for out of pocket to get started? Well, I'm talking to these guys, they're achieving me more as they just kind of play them off against each other and then move on to the next thing. So literally have a portfolio of a lot of product protect, yeah. protected ideas that we can turn into like an annuity for the three of us. We've, we split it evenly three ways. I'm not so worried about ownership. It's more about let's just do things. Let's get things done and, and get them into the market. Does that make sense? What, does that, um, does that what's one question? shareable? Yeah, no, I, I'm curious it, from a context perspective, because I'm a visual thinker. What is an example of a patent you can, you can share with us that, and also if, if, if you talked about nothing to lose and, and, and if it doesn't kill you, what makes you stronger? I'm curious mm -hmm. to see if there's a experience of building a product that went horribly bad, but then it ended up being hor really good as a, as a patent later on. Hmm. Um. Well, so I, I, I can think back to one of my earliest patents. This is, this is probably, it didn't go horribly bad, but it, it created an interesting scenario. So before I worked at Bose, I actually worked uh, on aircraft engines. I was a systems engineer on aircraft engines. And, and uh, these were, in, in some cases, the engines were used on, on ships, on boats, believe it or not, aircraft engines to propel boats. And uh, they had these things called bell mouth inlets, which is we would guide the air smoothly into the engine so there'd be no turbulence before the air entered the engine because that impacts fuel efficiency. So anyways, when I went to, uh, to Bose, this is back when uh, subwoofers were first becoming popular. And, uh, you know, the subwoofer satellite systems, which everyone uses now, back in the, back when I first started, it wasn't like that. Everyone would have floor standing speakers. So the, it turns out that Bose had a, a, a subwoofer that's really, really noisy. It used like toilet paper tubes or paper towel tubes for the, for the ports. And I said, hey, why don't you flare the port on the inlet and on the exit like an aircraft engine to make the, the air flow smoothly through the port in both directions? And so engineer put that together and it, and it reduced the noise by 40 decibels, which is like this crazy loud oh, wow. sound down to almost you couldn't hear it. 
And so actually you'll notice if you look at loudspeakers today, most every loudspeaker now has flared ports on it. And that's because of what, what happened at Bose. All right, the patent's over, so everyone can do it now. But at the time, it was like, oh, that's interesting. And then suddenly one of our competitors came out with a speaker, a subwoofer that had this exact design on it. And so <laughs> Bose ended up going to court with them. Two different trials, both on the design patent and on the, the utility patent as well. And, uh, and so I spent a lot of time be being deposed and sitting on the stand. David Boys was the opposing attorney in one of the court cases. He's the guy who did the hanging chads for, for Al Gore back in the day when, when they, he had the, the battle with, with Bush. But ultimately it came around and Bose, Bose won the utility patent, which was the, the important one for a pretty sizable settlement. But that's just one example of something that started good, went bad, but then turned out good again in the end. That's amazing. So Jerry, that's a great story, man. Jerry, just coming back to current products, the management consultants, can you give us the elevator pitch? What do you actually do? Sure. So it's all in the name, but it is, it's product management consulting. And so I work with founders and senior executives of growth stage companies and also oftentimes private equity firms as well. These are for tech companies that are early on. So sometimes it's a startup, sometimes it's series A, series B in that range. And oftentimes the, the companies realize that they have an issue with their product that is keeping them from getting to where they want to be from a business perspective. And so I'll come in to, uh, to help them meet their, their product objectives by either working on product strategy or helping them with their product organization, either through coaching or how they arrange the organization or helping them to improve their, their processes, often related to alignment of executives and other key stakeholders in the business. And so that's it. I'll meet with them. We'll figure out what exactly the product challenge is and then move forward from there. But as I said, oftentimes it's a product equity, private equity company that has either they're looking to invest and they want to do due diligence on a company, or maybe they've already invested and they want to make sure that their investment is going to be successful. So that's pretty common as well. And so I apply what I've learned in business outside the consulting world. So when I was at iRobot, we, we grew share price 3x during my time there, tripled revenues, massively improved product gross margins. And then at one of the startups I worked at, over same, same thing over a three-year period, we, we upped the valuation by a factor of about 20, leading to an acquisition, again, with me hitting a product. So I understand product strategy. I understand what limits a company and their ability to reach their objectives. Oftentimes it has to do with alignment, like internal people, they're, they're all going this way. And so how do you get, how do you get that vision? How do you capture that vision? And how do you, how do you tie that down to objectives that will, that people will drive and work to in order to accomplish the vision in a successful manner? And that's what I do. When we talk about product management, mm -hmm. where does, where does the overlap into marketing and sales happen. How do you, how do you play nice with the folks that want to sell this stuff? And part two of that is along the way has mentorship been part of your learning process? Good Have question. you had great educators and mentors along the way? Yes, I have. So I'll, I'll come back to that. So I've had great in the consulting. It's interesting on the consulting side, it's actually been easier than when I'm working in a company in some cases, working with sales and marketing. They all realize that there's a challenge that they're trying to overcome. And so just some of the companies recently I've worked with, 
worked very closely with the Salesforce, going out and talking to customers, really trying to understand the challenges that they're running that they're running into because they all want to hit their numbers as well. So they've been very, very open. And actually, I, I because I'm focused on driving transparency and alignment across the organization, I often give them a platform that they can get their point across more clearly and on a more level playing field with the other people in management than when they're just out there and, hey, you got to hit your numbers, right? And so it's been pretty, it's been pretty, pretty, not easy, I wouldn't say, but I think the relationship with marketing sales has actually been quite good. I see more in companies, it tends to be more B2B companies, like when I've worked in a company, that sales has more of a power dynamic. And so it's more along the lines of, hey, we just need to close this deal with this company. So just give me whatever works, right? It tends to be more typical in, in a B2B company. But if I'm called in as a consultant, they realize that that's not going to work. That approach isn't going to work. And so sales is, works with me much better. Mentors over time. Yeah. So one of my earliest ones was Dr. Bose, right? He was my thesis supervisor at MIT. He was the, he won the oh, professor wow. of the year award that year. Yeah. Yeah. Just an amazing guy. He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but great guy. Brilliant, brilliant tech, technical mind, brilliant leader, brilliant marketing person. And just, he, he could motivate anybody to jump out of bed in the morning and spring across the room to get dressed and go out to work. So he was a huge, he had a huge impact on how I think about product and, 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 uh, and how I work with people as well. Cause he was so good at working with, working with people. And then just, I had a fellow named Steve Russo, who's been an advisor for me in the consulting business. He does, he does consulting as well, the leadership consulting. And he's been very helpful with me to try to ex explain what could happen, how it's going to go, how to think about contractual terms and billing and, and how to work with, with companies as well. So he's been a great, he's, he's a brilliant guy, wonderful person, and he's been so helpful. And he also taught me an important lesson, which is, uh, or re-taught me really, it's about karma, right? Help people, just help people, help them get where they're going and good things will come back to you, right? So, so great guy and an amazing person. I love that. Yeah. Jimmy, sorry, I just want to make sure to talk with Karen. You are a solo entrepreneur, right? It's basically mm -hmm. yourself as a consultant. So yes. I work as a consultant as well. And one of the challenges that I have is that it becomes a lifestyle business as opposed to a scalable business because people have bought into you and you have a finite number of hours that you can actually make available to yep. your clients. Yep. How... And I know you've seen you've started another company where you're actually doing the patent. Was that business born so that you could actually scale? Or how are you going to scale current product management consulting if people are buying your time and your skills? Yeah. Jerry's <laughs> got a patent for a cloning machine that he hasn't <laughs> talked to us about yet. And as soon as um, the patent comes out, I'm gonna I'm gonna license it, Diana. We're gonna clone ourselves. If, if I told you, if I told you now, I'd have to kill you and I, I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> so it's a, yeah, it's a great point and it's very, very, very accurate. So, so yes, Mastrio is part of the, I would refer to it as an annuity kind of business. Like that's the whole bunch of little bets, hopefully not all little, right? Some are medium bets, but a whole bunch of bets that are going, working with really top-notch people, right? 
So that's that piece. And I think that can continue to pay dividends for an extended period. And, and forget, I would imagine if we get a, like a patent in a really fruitful area, we, it could turn into its own business, but I'm not going to think about it right that way right now. Mastrio actually, so for the full background, what I found was when I was my consulting business right now, my marketing is my LinkedIn page. That's it. Right. And I have a bunch of contacts and I just talk to them and reach out to them and just stand in, in contact. Mastrio was born out of two things. Number one, me for decades saying, I want to do my ideas. I want to get them going. And number two, I found that I couldn't fill my day with, with care and product management consulting, like the marketing associated with it. I found I was like going goggly eyed, looking at LinkedIn far too long every day. I'm like, ah, I can't, I need, I need to make, I'm the kind of person, I need to be too busy. Right. So I'm like, I got to do something else. I got to do something. So I've got too much going on. And that way I won't like just drill down and look at LinkedIn all day. So, so that's really where that came from. So fallen into Mastrio, but I think that has the opportunity to scale. I think the only way that care and product management consulting is going to scale is by, by coming up with some more like canned products is probably the best way to describe it. Like I want to talk to enough customers that I see enough of the common themes going on. I say, everyone always seems to want this. So I'm going to make that up can product and I'm going to yeah. have it be something that's a set price and set amount of time. And, and this is how it allows work. And then I can start bringing in other people that can take that on. Maybe it's a little bit more junior and can drive that. But, but I think that's how it's going to have to go. When I first started the business, which was not quite a year ago, I learned the lesson that you should talk to as many people as you can, including potential competitors, because you're going to learn stuff from them and they'll learn things from you and it'll actually get you further along. And they could be a partner too. So I talked to a fellow who said, I'm looking at your stuff and you, you need to come up with productize. The thing that allowed me to be successful is you need to productize what you're offering is you can't just say, Hey, I have experience here. I'm going to help you. That doesn't work. Right. So, um, so I started to productize and that's when I started to get traction. So I'd say just driving that further to the point where I can start to peel off business and give it to someone who's maybe a little bit more junior, but still very bright. And I can kind of look over the shoulder, which is exactly what I've done in industry for decades, right? Having product managers working under me and just looking over their shoulder and saying, go a little left, speed up just a little. Okay, perfect. Just keep doing that. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's good advice. And that's something that's been shared with me as well. Um, I guess my challenge is I'm still trying to work out what the hell I can productize with my, with my skill set. And, and I think that's quite a difficult thing because the market is saturated with these gurus and wannabe gurus and everyone that's got a product and things yeah. like that. So it becomes quite difficult to identify a, a bit of a niche and a value added, a value adding product that you can actually package up. I, yeah. I want to completely yeah. digress, right? So we had sent a number of questions across to you. And one of the questions was, if an enemy had to write a book about you, what would it be? And you've came back, come back and said, Jerry didn't realize, is it my obvious greatness or his obvious greatness? No, no, my obvious greatness. So in can other you, words, my you... enemy is saying that, my enemy is saying I'm obviously great, but Jerry didn't see it. And, and, um, and, and yeah, just to share a little bit of background to that title, if you don't mind. So I've, I've, I've managed a lot of people in my career and been very successful. I had super high engagement super low turnover, voluntary turnover, like people leaving on their own. Very, very low because when someone works for me, 
I fully engage myself with knowing them as a person. I'm helping them to grow. I'm helping them to learn. I want them to be in a better place. I've been very successful. A lot of people have gone on to be very senior people, CEOs, startups, and things like that. But there's been a small percentage that typically have not done well. And when thinking about it a little bit, they're the people that are not self-aware. So often they'll be like, you know what? I just did this thing. And so I deserve to be promoted three levels above where I currently am, above all these other people <laughs> that have done a really good job and have been doing it for a long time. And oftentimes they would get frustrated because I would, I'd say, well, okay, you need to improve in this area. You need to improve in that area. Be trying to be helpful, right? Like with your kids, if they mess up, you try to help them. You say, hey, maybe you should try this next time. But certain people, are, they can't, like I said, not being afraid to fail. There's certain people whose egos are so fragile, they can't hear that they didn't do something as well as they could have. And those are the people tend, that tend to be my enemies where I'll say, you worked for me. I'm going to try to get you to be the best person you can. And here's some places you did great at this, but you got to work on this and here's how you do it. And they can't, they can't take that. Right. And so they get mad at me and they go, so they would say, I didn't, I, I was, I just didn't realize their inherent greatness. <laughs> so it was time to move on. Very cool. Can I ask a question, Dion, around product design? Sure. Please do. So, Jerry, I was thinking about some of the founders that we've met, those founders that are starting a new SaaS product, those founders that are building a app or a hardware device for a health and fitness company. From your experience, if you could help summarize, what are maybe two or three product design pitfalls? that first-time product designers potentially can fall into that you've seen, whether it's, I mean, the, the, the obvious one we always get is like market fit. Everybody talks about market fit. Cool. Yeah. But even if the market loves you, you can still fuck it up. So from yeah. your experience, if you're walking into a company that says, hey, I'm, I'm either in the early stages or I'm ready to go to market, how, what's your checklist? Yeah. Well, I think an important one is how close are they to the customer? So it's not these, you could, it's not product market fit so much. I think it's actually even further than that, which is, do you really know the customer or is this your idea that you have that you think is cool and you're going to kind of cram it down the customer's throat? Oftentimes, uh, companies just charging ahead, not really testing things. They, they view it internally and they say, oh, this is great. We're going to go send this. They're not constantly testing outside with customer and making sure that they, that they really would value it. So I would say that's a huge thing. Get super, super close to the customer. Understand them better than they understand themselves. And then you're going to be, you're going to be heading, down, heading down the right path. I think that's a huge one. I think another one is, it's kind of related, but it's the, um, it's the Steve Jobs syndrome. Like, blue, blue, everything blue. Like, you got the, the visionary and I'm just doing, this is exactly what we're going to do. It's related, but it's a little bit further. People need to be check their egos and, and say, I know how to push forward and I know how to gain progress, but I'm, I'm not going to get so fixated on my, on my vision that, that I just totally missed the boat. So that's another big one. Um, a, a third one is lack of alignment. This, is, this happens all the time. How did you decide to do this feature? Oh, well, I, I had a call, highway, hallway conversation with this person or... I was through email and two of us heard about it and everyone else has got confused and they didn't know. So a lack of alignment. So oftentimes people being in the dark, much of the team being in the dark and just features appearing and going in the product. 
it's important to have that visibility so that everybody knows what's going on. And if there's, if there's a lack of alignment, just hammer it out quickly. Don't, don't, don't kill yourself trying to always get everyone to say kumbaya, but you can't have everyone run around in the dark. That can lead to a lot of problems too. And I see that time and again. Companies are, they're forging ahead and they're not even tying back to their vision in the first place. So that's the fourth one, which is you should really think about where do we want to be when we grow up, right? Where are we today? Where, where are the gaps? All right, so what are the strategies to address those gaps? You often forget about that middle part and they just forge ahead with what's in front of them. And so another thing that I do typically is bring people back to well, what's the current state? What's the current state? Where are you trying to get? Okay, well, what are the things we have to do to get from the current state to where we want to be? All right, now when you do any activities, mm -hmm. they should travel with those strategies. They should, the strategy works, right? So follow your strategies. Don't, don't run around in the dark, not talking to each other, doing whatever falls in your plate. And I think if you handle those things, if you handle it that way, in my experience, things go much more smoothly and much more quickly. Jerry, you very good. Kind of what Dion tells me every day too. So we're aligned. <laughs> so Jerry, you've got all the product knowledge, right? You are a domain specialist when it comes to product development, but going into your own business, where have you fallen short in terms of the skills that you actually need or that you wish you had more of? I, I need someone to expose, expose me to my lack of self-awareness. Self <laughs> Where am I falling short? That's a good question. I guess I would say if I was going to do anything better, it would be, I'd be smarter about how I'm selling. So I'd say right now, LinkedIn is my, my, my main marketing tool. Of course, my contacts. And also trade shows. So I attend trade shows and go around and just talk to people in the booths. And that, that, that seems to work pretty well as well. Uh, there are probably other things I could do. What I'm not doing is a bunch of blog posts because I don't want to be that guy that suddenly hasn't written anything and then suddenly appears and writes a blog post every day and it's vapid and you're like, here we go. This will last three months and we won't hear from him anymore. So I don't want to be that person. So I'm, I'm re reticent to suddenly start, you know, bombarding people with, with posts on LinkedIn. So I'd say that's probably the area where I would most like to improve. Other than that, the good thing is I've had a lot of different jobs in my career. So not only product management, I was in sales for a while. I was in engineering, I was in research, I was in advanced development and did a lot of stuff with legal. And so it's actually helped me a lot, surprisingly so, that I'm much more confident when it comes to, oh, well, now we got to negotiate the contract. Okay, well, let's, I know what to look out for. And Okay, let's figure out, you know, how we're going to patent this. Okay, well, I know I've been involved in a lot of patents. So that's been really helpful to me. But the selling part, I think it would be nice to take that to the next, to the next level. That's an interesting point that you raised there now when you talk about you've had a lot of experience which has benefited you. I was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing a CEO of a Polish software house. And he's doing exceptionally well. I mean, they have experienced growth that's second to none. And on the podcast, the person asked him, what does he attribute his success to? And he said, I actually attribute part of my success to the fact that I started quite late. 
He said, with a lot of these new businesses now, with the youngsters, well, sorry, I'll yeah. change the youngsters off here, but these young entrepreneurs, they're in their 20s. Yeah. They've come up with a great idea or, or they've gone to market with a brand or something that really works, but they miss out on so much of the street smarts and mm -hmm. actually having gone through the school of hard knocks that they mm -hmm. make so many mistakes or that the company does not pro progress or can sustain the, the growth that they're hoping to actually achieve. Uh, and I know it's, it's quite, because you have some people that have gone out and have been massively successful at a very young age. So it's quite an interesting one that versus the, the value of experience versus the, the naivety of a young person. That's interesting. Really is. For me, it Just plays out as efficiency. It's like efficiency. Like I know exactly what to do. This, 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 that done, done. It's good. Like yeah. the first time we did, the first startup we did, we were much younger. We took forever to come up with a name for the company. It was silly. We spent like days on the name and then we debated for like days on percent ownership and all this stuff. It was like silly. We, we wasted so much time on stuff that honestly, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Really. We get down to it. And now it's like just clarity. Like this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And it's not... I. The other people I'm involved with, for my own business, it's easy because it's just me. But on the Mastrio side, they all get it. And we all say, we understand our, our lane and, and, and we trust each other. So it makes things really fast. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like, it, it's, a, it's a competitive advantage unquestionably because you don't go around in circles a lot. When you need to align and say, hey, I think we need to do this. You guys on board with that. And then you just go do your job and boom, boom, boom. So that's pretty exciting, actually. I, it's one of the... One of the big benefits of experience, unquestionably. And then, Jerry, just to close out this conversation, what tools are you currently using that you have found to be really valuable to you in the early stages of your business? Mm -hmm. Some of them are, are mundane, so I won't bother with those. <laughs> but uh, I'd say the most important one is video conferencing. Obviously, we're doing it now. It's it's all over the place. All the meetings virtually I'm in are, are, are video, and it makes a huge difference. With COVID and everything else, just limiting travel. The other one is Miro. I don't know if you guys have used Miro before. It's massively yeah. valuable. The virtual whiteboard. I've been using that now for years. And if you're going to re collaborate remotely, it, it's so intuitive. The software is so easy to use. And it makes for, again, it speeds things along and it drives the discussion. And you get an alignment much quicker. And so I'd say those are the biggies. I am using chat GPT as of the last few weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't view it as, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I actually think it's pretty good because it's good for like a survey. Like, hey, I want to understand horseshoes or whatever. And it'll tell you about, all about horseshoes. It won't tell you how to make a good decision about horseshoes or make something that strategically is going to help you long term. But it'll tell you all the different things you need to know about horseshoes. So when you make that decision, you say, oh, you know what? We didn't think about it. But ChatGPT pointed that out. We need to consider... Is the nail going to rust? Whatever. When you hammer it into the, into the horse's hoof. So that's a biggie. And that's a fairly recent one. But I embrace it. I actually think it's great for, for all of us. It's not something we should be afraid of. We should, we should use it to the maximum. And then the last question that I have for you is, what has entrepreneurship taught you? What has your 
your own progression and career taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Yeah. So I think, I think one thing is, so I mentioned earlier, karma, like if someone says, Hey, we want to, I want to talk with you about your business, talk with them, help them out. It'll come back to you one way or the other. Just be, you want to be tr true of heart and try to help people. And, and I think that's huge. And that's, that's, it's paid dividends for me. That's not why I do. I do it because I like to help people, but you know what? It's just, the world has a way of coming back around, but never burn a bridge. Don't burn a bridge because you might be in a situation where, Hey, we're on a really good path. And suddenly someone who you were not a good person to in the past can be in the position to make something go or not go. So, so, so never, never burn a bridge. So just try to have good of heart, help people out, work hard. And also I believe now more in statistics than I did before. So you're going to try a bunch of things. Some things will stick, some things won't. But the over time, there's going to be a statistical hit rate that you're going to have because you're out there and you're doing things. And just trust in that. But keep doing things. You know, it's going to be a hit rate, which is based on, which is based on you going out and doing things. And then X percent of the time, you'll get a result. If you don't do anything, you're not going to get any results. So keep working. Some percent is going to come through trust and statistics. And I think all those things work together to give you, can give you a satisfying result. I love that. I love that. What a great way. Yeah. And on that note, Jerry, once again, I'd like to thank you for your time. It's been great chatting to you. If people would like to follow you, if they'd like to find out more about you, what are the best places where they can do that? Yep. It's on LinkedIn, Jerry Karen on LinkedIn, G-E-R-R-Y-C-A-R-O-N. And I should be the first one that comes up. And if I keep looking, <laughs> you'll find me. Thanks, Jerry. Once again, really appreciate your time. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BloomX. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.